Welcome to episode 412 with my guest, Chell Bjorgen. Uh, I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction, to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I'm not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. The website uh, for the show is mentalpod.com. Mentalpod. Also, the uh, social media handles uh, you can follow us at uh, on Twitter and Instagram. There's also a Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash mentalpod. Um, today's episode was uh, recorded live at Sisyphus Brewing in uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. We recorded about a month or two ago. And... Uh, Chell mentions in the podcast um, taping an album of his stand-up, and it is that those tapings are, if you're listening to this the day it comes out, which is uh, Friday, December 7th of uh, 2018, uh, that taping is, there's two tapings, tonight at 8 o'clock and tomorrow night at 8 o'clock. And you can get more information by going to Sisyphus Brewing, uh, dot com or just search, uh, Chell's name and, uh, something else. <laughs> um, he also mentions, uh, starting a podcast, uh, that has not launched yet. Uh, so don't, don't look for that. But, um, before we get to the interview, um, I, I want to talk about the concept of happiness. I was talking to somebody the other day, and they mentioned uh, trying to find happiness. Uh, and, you know, these are just my opinions, but happiness to me is not something that we can pursue. Um, and other people have said this a lot more eloquently than I'm sure I will. But to me, pursuing happiness is predicated on the idea that we don't have enough and we're searching for something outside ourselves to change our mood, our state, how we're feeling. So there's an element of want in it. And to be in a state of wanting is to not really make peace with the present moment. And that doesn't mean that we can't set goals um, and want to expand our lives, but waiting for those external things or circumstances outside of ourselves to bring us happiness uh, is a hamster wheel of of pursuit and you know the the times in my life when I've gotten the external things that I longed for for instance you know um, uh, uh, getting my face on a billboard on Sunset Boulevard or getting a TV show uh, things like that it, it was exciting to get those things but they didn't bring me any type of, of long-term happiness. And it took me a long time to understand the difference between my ego being excited by something 
and me experiencing a state of contentment. I, I personally believe that contentment and peace are things that are achievable for me and not by wanting them, but by letting go of expectations that I have about things outside of myself uh, and understanding the difference between what I have control or influence over in my life and what I don't and letting go of any attempt at controlling what I don't have control over and just trying to bring principles to the things I do have control of principles, uh, you know, like honesty, compassion, patience, uh, a lot of things that don't come naturally to me, but I find, and, and so there's a certain amount of faith in that because to, for me to walk through fear, for instance, that I will be financially okay next month, you know, for me to just focus on doing my job, you know, doing the footwork of, uh, you know, trying to find an advertiser or, um, you know, a guest that will maybe bring in more download numbers. Those things I I can make an attempt at, but ultimately I have to turn the results of that work over because I don't have control over that. And so once I do the footwork, the things that I do have control over, and I stay out of the results of that footwork, I need to go into a place of faith that whatever happens, I will be okay and I will be able to find peace within those circumstances. And in the 15 years or so that I've been in support groups and been sober, it's been my experience that that is doable. But to achieve that, I have to let go of my conception of what success looks like, of the schedule that it's going to arrive on, and what I think I really need to have an enjoyable life. And what I've discovered is that the idea of attaining things to be happy is a dead-end street. The moments of happiness or joy that I've had in my life have come from being in a state of accepting where I am in life. Again, that doesn't mean that I don't have goals and I'm not working towards them. But acceptance of where I am in any given moment and appreciating what I have, the byproduct of that is I get to experience sometimes happiness, sometimes joy, but at the very least, a sense of peace and contentment. And that, to me, is is doable. One of the things that has stood in my way to finding peace and occasionally getting its byproduct, happiness or joy, is I had to be willing to let other people be disappointed. I had to let go of trying to care for other people's emotions, trying to control their happiness. For instance, taking phone calls of somebody who is toxic, 
um, who I lose my peace around because it drains me or it, it aggravates me. Um, because it's not healthy for me. You know, where is the line between having compassion for somebody else and their flaws or distancing yourself from them because they're toxic? You know, I could spend another hour uh, talking about that, but just suffice it to say, you know, from support groups and therapy, I've, I've kind of attuned that part of my senses that will say, this is a person who's not healthy for me. There's really no more effort that I can put into this relationship to try to make it work. And I'm going to have to accept that this person will be disappointed but with what they are getting from me in a relationship. I have to be willing to go to that place to achieve peace and the potential of happiness. Because if I don't, I'm in a state of anxiety and feeling cornered. And at the mercy of other people's toxicity and unhealthiness, because I am not taking care of myself and being selfish in a healthy way. And I don't know if that, if that makes sense, but I guess all of that is to say is that Trying to deal with a feeling of agitation when it comes up has been the best thing that has ever happened to me mentally and emotionally. And ignoring that voice in my head that says, oh, you're selfish, you know, because you don't want to hang around this person that you feel drained by. No, we deserve we are worthy of not being drained by somebody. Um, and this includes relatives. Now, if you're talking about parents and, you know, relation to their children, uh, you know, there's a responsibility there that obviously is a lot more complicated than, than what I'm talking about. But I see so many people who cannot get out of a state of agitation because they are unwilling to disappoint relatives, relatives who aren't willing to grow, who aren't willing to look at their part in things, who are sick. They're not bad people. But if we're not willing to disappoint those people, if that option is off the table, I don't believe we can truly find peace and ever have a chance at, you know, those moments of happiness or joy uh, that to me are kind of like, you know, it, it, it's kind of like if, if peace and contentment is the casino, happiness and joy is the slot machine that, you know, who knows when it's going to come, how frequently, uh, but I'm not going to get it if I'm if I'm not in the casino. And I could not hate that analogy anymore as I look back at it. Because <laughs> I hate Vegas. It's everything I hate. I used to love it, but anyway, I, I, I hope that I hope that makes sense. Uh I just want to read two quick awful some moments. Um actually before I do that, I want to uh, give a shout out to our sponsor, betterhelp.com. Uh they are an online 
uh, therapy provider, and I'm a big fan of theirs. Um, I've been doing uh, online video therapy for two years with my counselor, Donna, and she is great. She's helped me in so many ways, continues to help me, and I feel so comfortable with her. I share everything with her. She's non-judgmental, um, but, you know, also will call me on my BS if, if I'm, uh, if I'm not, if I'm not being honest with myself about something. Uh, so to, uh, check it out, go to betterhelp.com slash mental and make sure you include the slash mental so they know you came from the podcast. Fill out a questionnaire and then they'll match you with a betterhelp.com counselor and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if online counseling is right for you and you need to be over 18. And I highly recommend it. Okay, this is an awfulsome moment filled out by a woman who calls herself uh, Copper Hopper. And uh, she writes, actually, before I read that, I'm going to read that one next. Before I read that, I want to read this one. It's an awfulsome moment filled out by a guy who calls himself, I want to die Jones. And he writes, I started listening to your podcast about a month ago after relapsing into my latest depressive episode complete with chronic binge eating. Every episode is filled with wisdom, understanding, and comfort, but of course, the thing that has stuck with me the most is the way you describe that marshmallow fluff in an episode I listened to weeks ago. All this time, I've been tempted by the image you painted in my mind, but have been able to restrain myself. Finally, today, I gave in. I scoured the food aisle at the dollar store, found the fluff, and avoided eye contact on my way out to spare the look of disappointment I would project onto the faces of everyone around me. Driving home, I wondered what was wrong with me. Why must all the messages of self-help and healthy behavior fall to the wayside over a jar of fluff? Now, I'm sitting in bed eating marshmallow fluff out of the jar, and I think I see why. This shit is just so good. That's so funny because I read this last night and I hadn't had marshmallow fluff in probably three weeks and I almost went to the cabinet to start eating it again. If it wasn't for my high blood pressure diagnosis uh, and my insomnia, I would probably have gone and done that. That's a, that's a whole other side story uh, where where I'm at with that. I won't uh, bog this down with that. But uh, thank you for sharing that. It really made me laugh. And all I can say is step away from the fluff. Step away from it. And if you're not going to, use a tablespoon. Don't kid yourself with a teaspoon. Uh, and this is uh, the other awful some moment filled out by a woman who calls herself copper hopper and she writes i was almost kidnapped when i was 20 by a man that was wanted for kidnapping a 19 year old girl i was more terrified to tell my mom than the fact i was almost kidnapped because i knew she would say i was too fat or not good enough to be kidnapped there's a part of me inside that i don't want anyone to know about because it's weird and gross and lame and people will hate me 
It was so hard to be on the planet. Just doom, people pleasing, dread, silent, invisible, just wailing, stuck in the grip of the obsession, derealization, depersonalization, the suicidal ideation. I was so embarrassed and so full of shame. If I don't get help and get what I need to get, you know, I did some horrible, horrible things. Then I'm not going to be here much longer. God, I wish I could go back and undo them, but I can't. So snipers would shoot in our sides. My father was a notorious pimp in Boston. I can't do this anymore. It was kind of like Scottface. You can change somebody's life just by listening. Through vulnerability uh, comes healing. It felt like I'd been holding a sword and shield and I dropped them. And to this day, I have never had a better night's sleep. I started crying in a job interview saying, <laughs> and I was like, LA is hard, man. LA is so hard. And I, I didn't get that job. <laughs> Keep it going for Sam Harriman, the owner, or is it co-owner? Co-owner? Owner. Owner. Oh, did you buy? Did you buy out uh, your partner? Intrigue. Uh, I'm so grateful for for Sam uh, bringing me into to do these live recordings uh, twice a year. It's so nice to meet you guys in, in person. Well, most of you. And um, that gets nothing. <laughs> have, we not, have we not woken up yet? Did we have a nap right until showtime? Uh, but I'm, uh, I'm really glad you guys are here. And uh, I'm excited for the guest that I have today, we did uh, stand up together years ago, and I knew he lived in uh, Minneapolis. And so when I found out that he was available to come on the show, uh, I was super excited. So please welcome Chell Bjorgen. Thanks so much. Thanks. Now, if you just do a tight 15 while I stand next to you and watch. <laughs> sure thing. I'll do that. Yeah. Yes. You guys like jokes? Yeah. Jeremy, my name is Chell. Remember this joke, Paul? Which, which one? You know it. Yeah. How's it go? It's, my name is, is Chell. It's Norwegian. K-J-E-L-L. -L, pronounced Chell. Mm -hmm. I used to wait tables at the Bubba Gum Shrimp Company. And uh, that's not the joke. Please don't laugh at my life. <laughs> and my name is spelled out. Uh, on the name tag, K-J-E-L-L. And <clears throat> this guy looks up, he goes, K-J-E-L-L. Is it couch? <laughs> That's what someone said out loud. <laughs> you remember that, because you yes. said it back in the green room. Yes, and I, I also remember this, this rant that you would go on. <laughs> um, you were waiting tables at the time, and just about how tired you were of just mouth breathing stupidity yeah uh ordering food yeah yeah <laughs> you'd be like it's not it's mahi mahi it's not maui maui right <laughs> but you said it with such such organic rage <laughs> that i was like this guy is my new best friend <laughs> i can't believe you remember that, that oh like dude i i'm telling you i loved your act and i don't laugh at 90 percent of comedy right i mean that's the way it is being a comic you just get sick of it and then if you're waiting tables and you're a comic you're on the front lines of dealing with people incessantly so you really start to get intense and aggressive and angry that's where i was well you do yeah me yeah me yeah. most in and you i bury it <laughs> and then i watch hitler documentaries to soothe myself <laughs> 
I watch UFO documentaries. <laughs> so that's how I balance it. Wait, what kind do you watch? UFO. Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've always wondered who the fuck watches that. <laughs> <laughs> we're out there. We're out there. Yeah. Yeah. You guys we're watch we're UFO? done. We're done. Look here. at that. Look at this right there. Yeah. Let's not go down uh, that rabbit hole. You know hole. what I think? You know what I think happened at Roswell? <coughs> is a bunch of nerds got food to feed on for the next 20 years. <laughs> 40 years. No, I believe, I do believe that there's, there's stuff that we don't know about that would freak the shit out of us. And I do believe that there is other life forms. But I don't believe we're worthy of attention. Maybe sure. that's my own issues. Well, no, I get that. I, I think I honestly thought about yeah. why I do that, why I obsess about UFOs and all that the paranormal. It's like I think I'm so bored with life that I, it's my escape to kind of entertain myself. Yeah. Like I just go to that place. Yeah. Oh, well, maybe I'm kicking ass on another plane, you know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> this one's miserable. <laughs> but, oh, one over. I'm taking life by the, by the balls. <laughs> so uh, were you... Born and raised in, in Minnesota? <clears throat> Excuse me. Born in Gainesville, Florida, uh, but then... Home of the Gainesville Ripper? Uh, home of Tom Petty. Who's the Gainesville Ripper? Uh, 1990. It's sad how much I know about serial killers. Uh, <laughs> he was murdering college students. The guy's name was Danny... I forget what his, what his last name was, but it, it was... Terrifying what this guy was doing, and um, they couldn't they couldn't find him, and so I think he killed like six uh, college people, and but they were getting more and more violent, as if the first serial killing isn't violent enough. But uh, oh yeah, it was all over the news in uh, in like 1990, and then they found him kind of through happenstance. But they found a guy that they thought was the guy, and the guy they thought was the guy looked like a serial killer as if it was in a dictionary, a picture under serial killer. And so you thought the guy had just like these wild eyes and like nine full face scars going up and down his face. And I was like, of course he's killing people. That's the rational thing to do when life has dealt you that. But um, yeah, anyway, that was the, the Gainesville guy and they, they caught him eventually. I'm surprised I never heard that. I just knew Tom Petty is from there. Yeah. Who killed a lot of people? Tommy, Tommy Petty? Oh, vicious serial killer. I didn't know that. Yeah, but he could craft a hit. Right? He could. Oh, yeah. So we forgave him. Yeah. Now, a lot of great uh, music out of Gainesville. I think the Allman Brothers um, played there for a while, too, before they moved to Georgia. I could be wrong. I think they're... That sounds for, right. Or no, they're, maybe they're Daytona. Boy, have I gotten off track. Holy shit. No, you I'm from uh born in Gainesville and then I moved to family moved to North Dakota. I grew up in basically in Minneapolis. Okay. For like a year in North Dakota. Uh so North Dakota scarred you. Yes. Yeah, terribly. Yeah. There there is nothing like nothingness to cause trauma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the trauma of That's tumbleweeds. <laughs> Are there tumbleweeds in, in North Dakota? No, I just remember snow. Just a lot of snow. Snow, snow, yeah. snow. Yeah. There's snow here, too, obviously, but not like North Dakota. And would you have to, like, take a plane to go visit neighbors? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, we just go around in our moon boots and snowmobile suits and walk around have fun. Yeah, that actually sounds kind of fun. Did you enjoy it, or were you too young to remember? You know, I honestly remember being at, <laughs> like, in context of this, what this podcast is, I remember being at the bus stop 
at that age and look it up like just the constant because everyone hates the cold i think when it comes to depression and seasonal what do you call it the seasonal Affective disorder. Affective disorder. Thank you. I Why are you pointing like, at them? I said it. You said it too, and then I was looking at you like that. We're including everyone. Can we make good. it about me? Yeah, I'm sorry. Okay, go ahead. So it's like this. <laughs> Shell has turned to me now and is facing me <laughs> with the with uh, for the listener. <laughs> Don't touch my knee. It's Paul, Polly, or go higher. One of the two. <laughs> Do not lead me on in front of the people. So I remember being that like in second grade, first grade, and looking up to uh, just a gray sky. I don't the cold really didn't bother me, but that there's no sunshine. Yes. I remember thinking like first, second grade, like what the fuck, this sucks. And I think that was my first memory of uh, probably not being a happy kid, and maybe like yes. a glimpse of depression it was, was established right yeah. there. There, there is a um, an intensity to like a November day when it's thirty eight out the sun setting at 4.30 or, or yeah, 5 right, o'clock. Right. You're back in school. There's something shitty for dinner. And you're just... There's no, not even any snow yet, but you can't do the normal stuff that you can do as a kid. And there, there is just a... a I, I get it. it it's, it's like r- depression the other parts of the year is like a karaoke singer and then... Fall depression is like Elvis in the late fifties. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it comes in. It has that somebody. Really is a great way of describing yes, it because yeah. it, really it has an entourage that takes its cape off as it comes in <laughs> on daylight savings day. <laughs> well, that is one of the things when you make it through a winter in uh, the Midwest. It, it it almost puts you in a good mood by default when you have that first spring day and it's warm. It's oh. almost like I feel better and lighter just because it's yes. you're not freezing your ass off when there's sunshine. And that smell uh, of the grass, you can suddenly smell mm. earth, yeah. wet right. earth. Oh, I love that. Yeah. But then there's always still some patches of ice and it's, they're still kind of black with, with dirt and you're right. like, oh, I can't wait till those are gone. Yeah. <laughs> are you laughing at me or with me? <laughs> Both? <laughs> well, no, I, I completely understand what you're saying. I, yeah. I, yeah, I empathize with that. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so what was, give us some memories of uh, childhood, whether it was uh, North Dakota or Minnesota. Was it, uh, did you say Minneapolis? Yeah. 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 Um, memories, like, are you talking about like growing up? You like, just said memories. Memories? Am I wrong or did he just say memories? Memory. Memories? Yeah, he did. Okay. Memor- memories? <laughs> like, uh, at what age are we talking about? So when, as a kid, I remember just kind of, being bored with life, and then you get older, and then um, I don't know. I don't really have specific memories of childhood, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. That's a bad thing. It's not like a- <laughs> I've never seen that be a good thing. Oh, yeah, I, my body blocked out all the fun <laughs> to save me. Well, I don't well, know. You just might have a bad memory, but you're a comic as well. Those are, t- those are two, <laughs> yeah, two right? red flags. I know. <laughs> I know. I think it, it's. I have flashes of memories of good times, and I have a whole bunch of stuff I don't remember. But there was nothing like a traumatic childhood. There was, there were instances of um, like I remember yelling and um, and wanting to just kind of get away. Remember that sort of stuff. From, uh, from from yelling. 
wanting to get away from people yelling at me. Okay. Uh, like parents? Parents, yeah. Parents, okay. yeah. So my mom was a, <coughs> excuse me. A yeller? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she came from, her dad was a alcoholic, gone for quite, a, like going binges, like three weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. So she grew up with that, and I think she did the best she could with us, but I think she was kind of, kind of fell into that and um, just would yell and scream. And I remember being a kid thinking this isn't the way it should be. Yeah. Uh, and um, Where was your dad? Well, he was there, but he's just kind of <laughs> uh, not really... Lump on the couch? I don't lump on the couch, but very cerebral, I guess is the way of putting it. He's just kind of... He's a doctor, um, radiologist. Does, doesn't really... You know, he'd go to all our sporting events, go to all the baseball games, all the football games. But when it came to being a kid, I think he just doesn't do well with kids. He likes them when they're athletic and, and able to be kind of somewhat adults. Gotcha. So he was kind of bored. No, I wouldn't say bored. I would say annoyed. He was bothered. Oh, wow. That's worse. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were going to let him off the hook. No. <laughs> I'm like, wow. No, I mean, I don't, I don't, it's, that's just, the, yeah, I don't. That, yeah. That's, that's kind of how my. Actually, my dad was the opposite. My dad was kind of interested in us when we were in rookie league and maybe little league, and then he just... But then again, maybe his alcoholism was, was progressing. But um, share some good memories, if you, if you can remember any, of growing up, especially with your, with your parents. Because sometimes I feel like we just throw parents under right. The I don't want to do and, that. And it's, I don't want to do that. I know. And that's not my intent. My intent is to try to understand... You know things that lead to messes like you and I. So, what's a good memory? My twin brother's in the audience. I, Where? I say, he's right there to the right of the pole. He's Strict. your twin brother. Yeah. Uh, oh, but you you're you're not identical twins, are yeah, you? Yeah. Well, you are. Shell's brother is having a uh, for the listener is is uh, also not able to come w- up with any good memories. We did. We had good memories. I just I can't. Um, I mean, we we had fun at, at certain points, and I don't know when. Do that we was. need to get the police involved? <laughs> no, no, no. All is good. All is good. I just yeah. you talk to comics, and a lot of comics are damaged in some weird way, and I don't think that I had any. Like much more of a, a bad childhood than anyone else. I just right. think that it's you try to figure out if I was born with depression, if it came from what I was raised with, or what what, what where's it beginning? How does it yeah. formulate? Like where's the chicken or the pill? Right, <laughs> right. right. Yeah, uh, yeah. It that is an interesting question, and I, I think about that often. I, I also sometimes think that some people are more sensitive than others, and so somebody who's Environment, you know, maybe rolled off their back, or they were more resilient, um, or yeah, I think that's the thing. Too. Well, it's like when you first start stand-up comedy. I look back on, I had panic attacks. My first, I didn't know I had panic. Like I didn't know I had that. I was going to have panic attacks, but the first one was on stage. That's at, a great time. Yeah, at the Improv, at the Improv in L.A. for a, oh. like a showcase set. <laughs> I remember David Spade was in the audience. I walk by David Spade and he's like, "Hey man, just be yourself, have fun." Huh. And then I look in the audience and then Jennifer Love Hewitt 
is in the audience. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? It was like a dream. Huh. And then I went on stage and I had a panic attack and just kind of floated above my body and uh, I don't remember much. I just remember my friend was in the audience who's a comic. He's one of those guys that just doesn't, he just shoots you straight. Right. And I, I'm like, that didn't go well, did it? He goes, ah, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> did you? Forget it. And I was devastated. And then I climbed into a bottle of whiskey and smoked weed for a week and a half straight. And I'm like, boy. Yeah. It was, it was, I couldn't, I was like, I can't deal with this. This is my whole life, this is my career, and I fucked it up. But now it's like looking back, it's like, how? Of course you can deal with that. Like everyone has shitty sets and you move forward. Everybody. But at the time, I wasn't. I didn't know how to deal with that. And I was like, I'm ruined. I'm done. One of the shittiest sets I ever had was a, my Comedy Central half hour. Absolutely bombed. And my friend Jimmy Dore said, I, I can't lie. That was rough. <laughs> yeah, it was brutal. But fortunately, they could, in post, they could make it sound like I did. Right. They I did it. good. But, oh, it was a train wreck. A train wreck. Because why? Just, you weren't they, with the were, they weren't my my crowd. I think they just didn't like me. They were like the people at school. <laughs> 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 um, and I had a set one time at Largo, uh, which was so brutal that the only laugh I got was I ran out of water and I picked up a bottle of water that was just there and had like a drop in it. And... And I realized as I tried to get this drop out of it, I said, I don't even know whose water this is. And that was the only laugh I got. <laughs> and, and after the show, I went to the bar and people scattered like I had a bomb. It was, I call it the hoop skirt, where it's like you got a gigantic hoop skirt and nobody can get within 15 oh feet of God. you. Oh, my God. So, buddy, you're not alone. <laughs> you're not alone, but... You, Isn't that weird? It is a weird thing, especially afterwards. Yes. It's only not getting laughter. It's people do... They're, they're, they want to get away from you. They like, it's do. a weird, like, They don't want to have to lie. Of, yeah, it's an awkward thing. Yeah, and they know you're terrible. They know you're a terrible person. <laughs> um, but at least you, you had the excuse of a panic attack. Um, I just sucked. No. But then there were, yeah, but then there were other instances where it's like I did uh, Live at Gotham, which is Comedy Central show. It's a seven-minute set, but I wasn't used to cameras and, you know, waiting around and fighting off that panic attack and then thinking, <clears throat> so I had, I did the set and it was powerfully forgettable, is how I would describe it. Is that and what the New York Times called it? Yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, if I can't do this, then what's the point of doing comedy? If I can't even rise to the occasion of these television sets, why am I even doing this? And I think that's when a part of me was like, I'm done with comedy. As opposed to when I look at it now, it's like, why didn't I say, this is a stepping stone, this is what you right. learn from, and the more you do it, the more comfortable you get. It, I, I didn't see it that way. I just, it was like, I can't do this, and I suck. Well, I would imagine, too, that, of course, that's the same brain that's sending you into a panic. So it's like, why would that brain all of a sudden, you know, get a hold of itself? And, right. And It's yeah. weird. That's, it's, it's a, I kind of have to mind fuck myself sometimes in order to... Do you wear a condom? <laughs> Please sometimes, be safe. Sometimes. Please be safe. Uh, <clears throat> well, <it's laughs> but do, yeah, do you it's, go through the ear or the mouth? 
You're the. <laughs> Should try the nose. Feels like the first time. <laughs> Come on, that's that's, guys, that's funnier really than funny. Your, that's that's really funny, guys. They're getting uncomfortable. I think they're shocked that I'm this dirty. I, I know. <laughs> I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you, but no, it's it's fine. It's um, it's I think you're. I mean, I'm very neurotic, and like uh, when I was in high school, I played baseball. And I got this thing called thrower's block. Have you heard of that? No. Thrower's block. Right on. Exactly. Chuck Knobloch, who's a Minnesota twin, played here. You got it? And uh, Steve Sachs, it ruined his, I think it ended his career. But it's like you get so in your head from fielding the ground ball and throwing the ball to first mm-hmm. that the, mecha- the natural mechanics of your body-mind connection, you can't, it just, those. The muscle memory leaves you. Not even muscle memory. It disrupts everything. So you can't, you throw it straight in the ground in front of you or you throw it, it there's Whoa. no control. Wow. So it was a mind fuck. If you have time to think, that's when I w- was able to fuck myself over. If, there's, if I'm up at bat, there's no time to think. I can't fuck it up. Right. But if you have time to think, that's when I would, fuck, I would sabotage myself. So I was trying to figure out how not to do that. How do you, how do you, how do you successfully not fuck yourself over? Right. By thinking I'm not going to fuck myself over. It's just a weird... It's a loop. It's yeah, a loop. Anxiety yeah. is definitely, definitely a loop, as is uh, OCD, from, from what I understand, because the compulsion of, uh, you know, is this, gonna, is this compulsion going to come up again brings the anxiety, and then that's the, you go to the ritual or whatever it is to, to soothe yourself. Right. And, um, and, yeah, people having panic attacks about having a panic attack. Right. Um, one of the things that somebody uh, told me is that a panic attack will not kill you. It feels like it uh, is going to, but it cannot kill you. Uh, it was a homeless person that told me that, but <laughs> <laughs> I tipped them and I was on my way. <laughs> no, uh, that, is, that is true. So anybody out there that has panic attacks, it, um, I mean, people go to the fucking emergency room for yeah. it. That's how real it feels to them. You've so, never gotten a panic attack? Uh, the only one I ever had was um, after the Northridge earthquake, uh, which was it's such a horrifying earthquake, and we had just moved to L.A. We'd been there six days, and it hit. And my then wife, uh, who uh, was a comic, went on the road to do stand-up, so I was in our apartment by, our, by myself, and I made the decision to smoke pot and was laying on the bed absolutely convinced the next second another earthquake was was going to happen and i could not believe that it wasn't going to happen the next second and it just my heart was beating out of my chest i was sweating well that's what surprises me is because when i first met you i think we were doing peoria Mm -hmm. there's this this theater and there was like a balcony it was an old theater and we did the show and it was the first night i was with him and he's up on the balcony, and you're rolling a joint, and you go, hey, chill, you want to smoke some weed? And it was like the coolest Matthew McConaughey moment, where I was like, because it was one of my first gigs on the road, and he was such a nice, you deal with so many gross, narcissistic comics that don't know to wash oh, themselves get to or know brush me. their teeth. Get to know me. But, but you were always, <laughs> you, he was so supportive and helped me work out, act, like you got to slow down, just very supportive, and when you were like, you want to smoke some weed? I'm like, this is really cool. Comedy is great. What a fun, fun thing. But then you go on the road and you start dealing with other people who are just raging, 
like alcoholics and drug addicts, and it's like, oh, this becomes ugly and gross. Yeah. But you didn't really smoke that much weed where you'd, you would get... I didn't smoke... Uh, if I had to perform, I would smoke... At, it must have been after the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because, oh, I had a panic attack on stage the one time I got high and went on stage um, in Cincinnati, and my mouth got so dry, yeah. <laughs> and I ran out of water... And I couldn't remember my act, and my upper lip stuck to my teeth. So I looked like a ventriloquist dummy <laughs> who stuttered. It was fucking awful. It was awful. Um, so, uh, yeah, the first time uh, we worked together, I just uh, immediately liked you. I, I liked your, your stand-up. I liked hanging out with you. Um, and... And then we worked together again. Yeah. And you had changed because there was a part of you in a good way that kind of gave up, that gave up thinking what a stand-up comic should be. And you were just using the stage to kind of process your life. But you made it funny. So it, it was so organic to who you were. I was, I was blown away. Oh, thank you. I mean, it was, yeah, it was definitely fun. There are a lot of times I feel more comfortable on stage than one-on-one with a person, which is an odd thing. I think a lot of performers have that. Absolutely. Um, Are you nervous right now? No, I'm just hot. (laughs) Yeah? (laughs) Just hot. That's why I'm sweating. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, you got a towel or a headband or anything? Anything from the 70s will do. (laughs) <laughs> uh yeah so it it was it was a, the second time we worked together though i was because this is the i my interpretation because we spent we hung out we had fun that first time second time was a year later maybe and i don't know if you had stopped drinking at this point because i don't ever remember you being a hardcore drunk or anything mm-hmm. um but you didn't really hang out after the show, and we didn't. I just was like, "Oh, it's weird," or whatever. I must have been sober. Yeah. Yeah, and but we, looking back, I'm like, I wonder if, in hindsight, like where I'm that comic that was starting to get, uh, having fun on stage, and then you're like at the end where you're like, "This is not comedy on the road. It sucks," and I don't want any part of this. And like, you're dealing with some comic that is new and doesn't know any better. It's like I don't want. Any, I don't want to hang out with that person or spend time with them because it's annoying or. I was if, like, you, you think th- that's how I felt about you, or that's how you felt about the other comic? I thought that you were kind of like enough with all this shit. No, not you. It was early in my sobriety. I didn't want to be around it um, because uh, I think my sobriety was maybe a little tenuous. Uh, even though I did stay sober and am still sober, um, I just kind of wanted to protect myself. And you know, when you're used to being the loud drunk one. Um, and then you're sober, uh, loud drunk people are annoying, and then yeah. you also realize, oh my God, I've been annoying for most of my life. Right. <laughs> and now I'm sober, and I still am. <laughs> but no, it um, was, was nothing personal. Oh, yeah, I, I, I know that now. It was just it was interesting. And um, uh, I lost my train of thought, but it was, no, it was funny. This is what it was, mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. when... I hadn't spoken with you for a couple of years, and someone had told me, another comic, and I can't remember who it was, and they said, Paul is, uh, got, he's in 12 steps, right? Is that what he's in, 12 steps? Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what the, because f- I, I never, you'd never 
struck me as a person that was out of control that had any issues with any of that. Mm-hmm. You see comics that clearly do. You had no signs of that. And I remember the, per, the comics that I think he's doing it for, uh, for networking reasons, <laughs> for, the, for the business, for the industry. <laughs> I'm like, he must be. Connections. Making connections. Oh, my God. As, <laughs> as desperate a, a human being as I am, that's even below me. <laughs> that is below me. But let, let's get back to the, the panic attacks and stuff like, like that. Uh, is there depression in there as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you talked about that gray kind of thing uh-huh. in, in fall. Sure. How, how did, would it present itself, you know, after you were wearing a snowsuit? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, and it, but it got progressively worse, and then um, I I got the Chicago Comedy Festival after a couple of years of comedy, and I'm like that should be like I remember thinking this is exciting, this is fun, like I'm, and then but I was still depressed. I'm like if I'm depressed and I just got this, why there's something there's an issue. So I got I started Prozac, and then uh, it felt like the first month I felt like I was I had mono. I just slept. All the time, and then the body, my brain, chemicals, everything adjusted, and I felt like I can get up in the morning and I'm not starting it off at the bottom of a well. You know, mm-hmm. it was just like much easier. And then after eight months, I'm like, oh, I'm cured, so I stopped taking. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the club. Have you done that too? How yeah. About, uh, anybody applaud who has ever ever taken meds and then got off them because you're like, I don't need these. I feel great. Idiots. All yeah. of us, <laughs> idiots. And I still think about it. I still think, well, maybe my body has repaired itself somehow, miraculously, and I don't need them. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. I, well, I had that myth of you're not going to be creative. It's going to stifle your creativity and all that stuff. And it's like, well, you're not going to be creative if you're sleeping 24 hours a day in your dad's basement. You're not yeah. really accomplishing Which much. you were actually doing. Yeah, right? I was. Yeah. I was doing that. To be fair, it's a nice basement. <laughs> it's Dusty Rose. It's gorgeous. Yes. Um, it's funny because I, when I heard you, when you first heard this podcast, I had heard it and I had sent you a message. I was telling this before, saying I love your formula of your podcast. It's so interesting. And I was sending it from my dad's basement when I was twenty-eight years old, drunk and depressed. <laughs> and it, so it's so weird for you because now I'm. Um, 45 years old I've got my own one bedroom apartment and I deliver pizzas so life does get better you guys (laughs) 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 thank you guys for all the antidepressants you know you know you got to get out of the basement to deliver a pizza right yeah (laughs) right You must have been older than 28, though, because I've only been doing the podcast since 2011 for eight years. So. 2011, okay. Well, I would like to say... It doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I just don't want to be that old living in my dad's basement. Yeah. It's still embarrassing to talk about. Well, talk about what it feels like, because I know there are a lot of listeners that get out of college, they have a huge amount of debt, they can't find a job, and they move back in with their parents, and all of the issues that they struggle with are then kind of becoming, um, you know, triggered by being in that environment on top of 
having the anxiety about making a living and discovering who they are? Well, that's what's interesting because I remember it was Christmas time and I was in his basement and the family was coming over, like cousins and brothers and sisters. And I was so far, looking back, it's weird, but I, I was so far gone that I didn't even want to get out of bed. Like, I'm like, I'm not getting out of bed. And this is I, after you went off the pills or is this before the pills? You know, I, I've been on all of them and I don't know if this is in a break or in between because this is the first time that I've been consistently on Prozac where I've, it's been over two years mm-hmm. and I haven't switched or just stopped taking it. Right. And I never felt a full kind of recovery from depression as I do now. Um, but either way, I was depressed to the point of I didn't have any bills. I didn't have any debt. I didn't have anything, but I still didn't have any desire to go out and do anything. Um, but what I did have, I had a, a comic friend of mine just talk to me in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And he was, I could tell he was at this place. He's at that place. He just didn't care. He was, he's got no uh, family. He's got this. It, it was clear that he was wicked depressed. And I was thinking, what could I say to him that I wish someone would have said to me? It's like, I don't, there's nothing you can say, but it's like you had those moments of, I'm so glad I didn't do anything stupid because I had such a fun moment with this person. After, like, there's moments that you have that you, it seems like it's pointless and you'll never ever have a fun moment with someone. Mm-hmm. But you do. Like, you, you're in a, a weird kind of rut. And so I kind of gave him that, I told him what my situation was, living in my dad's basement. And, um, there's not, I don't think there's any advice. There's just like, I know what that feels like and it can get better. That's that that's it what you what you said is right. the perfect thing and say you know if you if you need me i'm i'm here for you in any any way that i can if you need to talk if you need help making an appointment uh you know to go see somebody or you know uh find a support group that's uh and and let that person know that you you do care about them because one of the lies that depression tells us is that we're a burden that nobody really cares that it's never going to get better and that this is the real us and all of those things it's it's the opposite of that in fact and one of the ways that i know that my alcoholism or addiction or mental illness is fucking with me is when i use the words never or always uh and am obsessing about the past or the future right i yeah but it's like when I, it came to, like your depression, would you have a desire, like did it paralyze you from like not even being interested in, in nothing? I was interested in nothing. Nothing mattered to me. Yeah, yeah, I've been there. And, and couldn't do anything, couldn't open mail. My, you know, I used to joke that my stack of mail had snow on the top of it. It was so high. It was, I would go four months without opening mail. Yeah. Yeah, because I just, I couldn't do it. I couldn't wash dishes i would get up at noon and i would be back in bed by two so but i still feel like i'm i kind of can revisit that i can be uh not lazy but not i not productive and that's that, okay that's okay is it you promise i <laughs> i got <laughs> up today at noon and i took a nap at three thirty. but i don't beat myself up for it you know i i i look at it like a flu like it's a mental and emotional flu yeah and when you have the regular flu do you beat yourself up for uh not going to work or not getting a lot done 
You know, the very moment when you need to be your own best friend, why would you be the meanest person to you? But I do feel guilty when it's like you, not like tough love, but you know what Bill Burr is talking about, like harden the fuck up. Just harden the fuck up. And I know people need sympathy every now and again, but the last thing I ever want to be perceived as, perceived as is a victim of depression. Like it's, there are things you can do Yes, and, and I mean, obviously, some people are much further gone. Like the right. lead singer of my favorite band, Frightened Rabbit, uh-huh. killed himself. Um, and I think that's a guy that was plagued with depression on a level that a lot of people just can't deal right. with. He was always at it; it was going to happen. But other people, like me, I think I, the more I do, the more productive I am. Like what Patton Oswalt said was, "Volunteer, get outside of yourself, and you're helping someone else. It's going to have a huge effect on." It does. Right. It does. So that's what I struggle with because I can easily sleep. I can still sleep. Mm-hmm. Today I slept all day. Right. Yeah. I slept all day today. Yes. And uh, I slept, yeah. So I would like to be more productive and go out and think that would carry momentum yeah. if I went out and maybe volunteered and did something outside of myself and sleep. Well, do, when somebody breaks a leg, do we tell them to harden the fuck up? You, you know, Con- I just watched a documentary with Con- Conor McGregor where he just got done with a fight and he's got a uh, ruptured Achilles, whatever, and he's training the next morning. So he is toughing the fuck up even though he's in pain. He's an idiot. <laughs> That's just not smart. I, I, I just think that cycle... That's, he's being hard on, on, on himself. You know, nobody has ever shamed themselves into being the person they want to be. Harden the, hardening the fuck up when you're suffering from mental illness is getting help. That's hardening the fuck up. Yeah. That's making an outreach phone call, making an appointment to see a doctor, taking your meds, um, taking a nap if you're tired, but forcing yourself to do something that, that you can't... Beating yourself up for, for not being able to do something uh, is, is not hardening the fuck up. And I know there, that there are... There's a blurry line in there somewhere between, you know, self-pitying and not wanting to get into any kind of solution. But right. if you are attempting to get better, that that is what matters. Right. You know, the person sitting with a broken leg complaining about it but not going to the hospital, that person needs to harden the fuck up uh-huh. and go to a hospital. And yeah. I think mental illness is is the same way. Go get help. But also be kind to yourself, right? Well, and that's the balance that I struggle with because it, you know when I was younger, I had those the suicidal thoughts of like how I do it and go to a hotel off the beaten track and uh, uh, vodka and pills. So I'm so far past that, and I know how it would affect my family, um, and I wouldn't want to do that because obviously things get better. But there's still part of me that struggles with I. I want to do more than I'm doing because I think the more that I do, the better I'll feel as opposed to, especially with winter coming on, the lethargy, like lethargy, is that a word? Lethargy. Lethargy? Yeah. 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 Lethargy. But we can start calling it lethargy. Lethargy. If sounds, you'd like. Lethargy? Yeah, it doesn't sound right. Lethargy. Yeah. yeah. Lethargy. It's a new thing. <laughs> Spread the word. It's now lethargy. Uh, but I do, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do feel like 
I, if you get busy, if I get personally for myself, yeah. if the busier I am, the better I'm going to feel and more momentum I'm going to carry over. As opposed to being a 45 year old guy that delivers pizza and is kind of not really thriving. But that's not, <laughs> this sounds cliche as fuck, but that's not who you are. That's what you do. Right. No, I get that. And, and so, but then the, the thing is to feel that. I feel it, Paul. Then why you're still beating yourself up? Here's why. I'll tell you why. Don't touch my name. Because <laughs> <laughs> that feels very much like Jimmy Pardo when I say that. It's very Jimmy Pardo. Thing. I love Jimmy Pardo. Yeah. yeah. Um, the thing is, looking back, I have these flashes of being old and looking back at my life, being like, "You thought you were gonna have a panic attack, so you didn't uh, pursue comedy. You didn't try to go and do it again. You're gonna have that regret. It's gonna fucking bother you." So I, I'm. Trying to do what I can to prepare for, so I'm recording my compact disc, my first ever compact disc. I hate that you're calling it a compact. What's disc? wrong, with compact? <laughs> Nobody listens to them an anymore. Album? An album? Yeah. What an album? album? Yeah. Digital MP3? Whatever you want, anything but compact disc. <laughs> <laughs> anything but compact disc. <laughs> I'm recording. Twenty years in the comedy, I'm going to record because I've tried it before, and I'm like, I was always kind of like I sucked and it wasn't good. I'm like, fuck it, I'm going to record. I'm recording here. Right. Uh, December sixth, seventh, and eighth. Yeah. Or fifth, sixth, and seventh. Sixth, seventh, and eighth. Thursday, one. Friday. Come Saturday. see him do stand up. I'm telling you. you but one of oh, my thanks, best, you guys. My really, you guys haven't seen yeah. it, but thank you. You're, no, but your stand-up is so you, and that's the thing that annoys me about most comedy, is that people get on stage and then they're different than who they are as right, a person. Right. And and you, I mean, unless it's like Steve Martin, where it's clearly a send-up and a character. Sure. But, um, could I find an older reference? Um, <laughs> but that's he's he's brilliant. Yes. Um, but getting getting back to the the thing about who you are and what it is that that you do, you know, the fact that you are you. Recording this album, right? Uh, that's it, the it, thing. It, I want to challenge. I think it's important for people mentally ill. I don't care whatever you want to classify me as, is uh, manic depressive, or I don't think I'm that far. But there are obviously ups and downs. But you challenge yourself, and you're like, I'm gonna do this. And if I have a fucking shit set and a panic attack on Conan, I'm gonna submit for Conan. It's horrible to anticipate that because it's a reality. It's, it just might happen, but I'm still gonna try because. Right. That the idea of not of looking back and saying you didn't even try to go for Conan and you could have and now you're just kind of you can't do really anything and that drives me. Yes, and and I think that's good as long as we are not sitting there and living in the future in our head because that is home field advantage for our mental illness and our <laughs> oh, addictive addictive thinking. At least for me and the the people that I talk to. Um, because there's that 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 is where the creative uh, darkness loves because it can paint whatever yeah. picture it wants and we believe it right we believe it and then we then then it affects our present day mood and but if we're present we can say like right now we're okay we're in a comedy club we're with like-minded people we're having a, a a good time we're being honest we're being vulnerable we're having a human connection it's all good but tonight I'll go back to my hotel and I'll think about you know another podcast that has more listeners and is making more money and I'll get in a you know a depressed mood yeah but none of that has happened yet you know it's it's so tempting to go there because we think we're gonna solve our problems and it and 
I think it's important to have goals, but to not obsess about right. that. And it's hard. It's so hard. I feel like I'm talking way too much. No, not at all. Yeah. It's it's. I just I think about what I have done, and it's like I go home and I watch Netflix after delivering pizzas over and over again for the last fucking year and a half. What am, what am I accomplishing? I'm not doing anything. And that is going to perpetuate my depression. But what if delivering pizzas for a year is uh, <laughs> something that you draw upon in your art later? You never know. You never know what experience will be an opportunity for you to draw on something. See? Well, I don't know, you guys. To be honest, when I first started, I thought my passion lied in delivering pizzas. I really thought that was my passion. And I'd hand off the pizza and it was really hot and warm. I'd be like, this customer's happy. But now, I hand that pizza off. If it's lukewarm, I'm almost happy myself. And I'm like, it's time to leave. Yeah. It's time to move on. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't get to do this podcast if I hadn't been suicidal. You know, I, yeah. think, I think of that. I wouldn't have the friendships today if I hadn't uh, had to battle alcoholism and addiction. And while I don't wish those things on anyone, I wish the muscles that you have to develop by going through things that are difficult because then you get to use them in other, you know, at the post office or when somebody cuts you off on the road. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I think the most important thing is, is to ask yourself, am I a seeker? Am I constantly seeking uh, new information, new input to be a healthier, more connected person? And if you're doing that, that is, in my opinion, the most important thing. Because outside of that, we don't have a lot of control in the universe. Right. So how do we make friends with it and make friends with who we are in, at any given moment? I don't know. That's just that keeps me uh, from throwing myself off a bridge. Yeah, I think that is a common thread too. Is that that uh, you can't control? It's, I always kind of struggle with that too. Always wanting to try to be in control of things, and kind of being like, if you have a, a shit day, or like I've I've got a shit Dell. You know what a Dell is? Mm -mm. It's short for delivery. Because I'm a pizza guy. Yeah. <laughs> so I see a one man show. <laughs> called 30 minutes or less and you wrap it up it's you do a 29 minute set and if you do 31 the audience gets their money God back damn it that's yeah. funny i wish use it i will use it um but yeah there is that that those negative thoughts that creep up and that that ocd it's like when i'm driving and i'm annoyed about getting a shitty tip it's like it doesn't it's not my control who cares don't get lost now because that affects every other aspect of yeah. my life and how i've my perspective on life which sounds fucking yes. stupid but and you're true. not there yet and right. it's already ruining your mood right it dictates my mood and i'm like this is that's the thing i'm like i gotta stop doing that and letting it dictate my mood like it right. just doesn't it doesn't matter and, and and that and i hate to bring this subject up but i think that's where faith or spirituality in something larger than ourselves, volunteer work, something where we feel connected and that there's some type of energy that is loving in the universe. I don't even know how to put it into words, but um, that there is a meaning underneath all of this chaos. Why do you hate to bring that up? <sighs> yeah, because I don't want to sound like I'm proselytizing or... Um, 
because I know some people are not down with that, and I want this podcast to be as inclusive as possible. Yeah. But I also want to be honest, and I want to share my experience in an unfiltered way. And so that is one of the ways that I, quote unquote, turn things over and let go of the results. You know, I just try to make my actions principled and then stay out of the results. Um, easier said than done, but that's what I try. I try to do. And I think that would um, help anybody who gets in that place where you're future tripping and it's doom and gloom and all of a sudden it's shit on your, your present day mood. For sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think you never should apologize for believing in God, Lord Jesus, our Savior. <laughs> 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 it's not a joke, you guys. I do. I pray every night. I'm not going to apologize. I'm sorry, but I won't. Do you? Do you? Are, are you a Christian? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. You're looking at me like you're pulling my leg. No, I'm not. I know. Yeah. I have that thing where people yeah. don't, I can't tell. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, when you look at the teachings of uh, Jesus, they're beautiful, and they still apply today. I, the problem I have is with most of the people who speak for uh Jesus. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There are yeah some some nut jobs out there for right. sure. Yeah. I think which is why I sometimes cringe when I, you know, talk about spirituality or you know I suggest you do this or I suggest you do that. But you know, a lot of it is just what our fucking parents taught us. You know, share your toys, be nice. Right. Exactly. That. Be home on time. Thank you. Exactly. Be respectful. Eat well. Be mindful. Yeah. yeah. Right, that's exactly, that's what I believe in. That's, I think it's easy to get in that. That's what my brother's like. He's like, he doesn't, Trig, you don't like religion. You don't like religious people. <laughs> he doesn't. He's like, yeah, but so he gets really, he's, he's very, right. he's tired of people like just kind of coming at him saying you need to do this and do that. And I, I agree, I get that. But right. I don't think it's, it's, I think people should not be afraid to say I believe in God or I believe in yes. whatever and, and think that they're going to be like, because you're the, the least judgmental person ever, so you should never have to say, I'm sorry for bringing up spirituality. And yeah. being I want everybody to love me. <laughs> I wish I was kidding. I wish I was kidding. Yeah, it occurred to me, it occurred to me a couple of months ago that what I really want is every single person on the globe to love me, but leave me alone until I want to talk and then drop everything they're doing. <laughs> is that too much to ask? I'm a reasonable man. <laughs> reasonable needs. So, uh, give me give me some moments of your your life, whether they were a long time ago or today, that uh, kind of paint a picture of who you are. You've already shared quite a bit with the the panic attacks and stuff like that. Um, is do you feel like you're able to be intimate in a in yeah. a relationship? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do. I, I think what I, I've the the biggest transition I've, I've that has happened to me has been in the last three four years of living the life of a stand up comic for the most part are narcissistic immature people who are selfish and kind of it's just that's the way most of them are mm -hmm. and sleeping in being irresponsible not working hard I've kind of shifted that being like all right so I'm forty five years old now it's time to uh, work hard get up early. Uh, exercise, so getting up at 7 a.m. as opposed to sleeping until noon, because I think that perpetuates depression on mm -hmm. a whole other level. So getting up early, trying to be productive, um, loving someone in a way where I realize that I might have not done that the same way in past relationships, where um, 
hard to explain, but I, it's pleasant to work hard and to take someone else into account and, and want to love them and think of them before yourself. Because mm-hmm. I think I've always been a self-preservation kind of mode of I can't let anyone in because if I do, then they're going to be gone and split. So it's always kind of that bottom line of never letting anyone in that, that far, that mm-hmm. close. And then finally I'm like, well, no, you have to, and that's the way it feels good to do that and to trust that person. Yeah. And <clears throat> that makes any sense. Yeah. And uh, do you feel like you're safe with this? Uh... Yeah, I do. I'm still struggling with um, um, anger. Like, I'm still, I still have anger issues where I think that comes from my childhood and, and, mm-hmm. and the, just what I dealt with and how to, as, instead of responding, I react. So I'm still trying to figure out how to respond and not react in, in an angry way. I, I have a suggestion that I didn't learn until 15 years into my uh, marriage, which is now no more. But um, I used to think it was about winning an argument, that that was, it was like I would be giving up power if I didn't win a disagreement. And it occurred to me one day that why would I want the person that I'm going to have to live with to feel like they've been vanquished and I'm, and I'm the victor. Right. Uh, th- that will kill intimacy. And so my therapist suggested express things in terms of what you're feeling instead of saying, you did this thing yeah. wrong. You did this. Just say, you know, when that thing happened last week, I, you know, uh, my feelings were hurt or I felt minimized or I felt overwhelmed or whatever. And it forces us to begin to examine what it is we're feeling because a lot of times we just go from fear to anger to, you know, uh, screaming. Right. Or shutting down, which is what I would do. Right. I would just get very, very cold, you know. Just I, yes, I've done that too. I compartmentalize very yeah. much. That's always a big thing. But it's that anger of that's what I'm trying to figure out is I, I got I, it's oh, annoying. It's, it's yes. embarrassing to think of, yeah. but I'm in the middle of a triple. That's when you deliver three pizzas in mm-hmm. one run. You don't, call, you don't call it a trip? Trip? No, triple. Tripdell? No, but trip, yeah. Tripdell? Trip yeah, yeah. You can do that, but. That's a porn name, Triptel, isn't it? <laughs> it brings in three pizzas, there's three girls there. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> how many people have how many people have jerked off to a scene of somebody misdelivering a pizza? That is just I, don't raise Come on, your you guys, hands. raise your hands. I don't wanna Prozac Lebutrin. I don't wanna know. I don't wanna know. Um yeah, that's the trick, though. It's like I, I was – this is a true story. I was in – and I didn't realize it until the person explained it to me. Because when I would get angry, I would it's, – it's like I would black out. I would just yell and scream. I didn't even know what I – 30 seconds later, I didn't remember what I said. So that's – your brain is on – my brain was on overdrive and obviously not functioning – Properly, it's probably hitting the trauma part of, of right. the brain, it's, it's, like your central nervous system. It's been described system. as a PTSD kind of yeah. situation, which makes sense to me. From uh, your great childhood? Yeah. Yeah, yeah but it, I think that's dramatic, but it's similar kind of, a similar effect. You're not dealing with things properly. You're interpreting things on a, an exaggerated level, and you're reacting in a way that's inappropriate and all that. 
But I was yelling <laughs> and I was yelling about, I'm in the middle of a fucking triple. God damn it. What the fuck? Like if you're getting stressed out over calzones and triples, you can't, there's something wrong with you. You're mentally yes. ill. You know, I'm like, I shouldn't be a 45 year old man getting freaked out and yelling because I'm in the middle of a triple and I'm on the phone with you and I can't figure something out. I think that's pretty human though. Honestly, <clears throat> I I think no matter what it is that we're doing, it, sometimes we just get overwhelmed and anything on top of that is just, you know, we, we go to the, that place. But expressing our feelings sometimes, I think, is a, is a way to go. And I remember the first time I did it, instead of yelling at my wife or disagreeing or, you know, saying you did this, or ex-wife, um, I said, I just kind of stuffed it and it felt like a volcano, like, like steam was going to come out of my ears. And I said, I don't know what I'm feeling right now, but I'm just fucking frustrated and I'm angry and I want to punch a wall. And it let some of it out. And I broke my hand. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't punch a wall. But that was the first time I learned a new tool. For me, it's not like, am I a good person? Am I a bad person? Am I lazy? Am I productive? It's, am I gathering new tools to cope with life? It's all about tools to me for, yeah. for coping with things. And people that punch things and get drunk, that's their coping tool. You know, They're not a bad person necessarily. Right. Um, Right. I, I just I want more consistency of not losing my. Sh I think you should never, you never should be required to yell at someone. You never need to raise your voice at all. No. And that's what I'm trying to get to because it does it bubbles up and all of a sudden, I'm yelling and it's it feels like it's out of my control, but clearly it's not out of it's mm -hmm. never out of your control not to yell. So if I'm in a crowded theater, I should whisper fire. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes. I don't know if the. People are going to like that. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, you didn't raise your voice. Well, Shel Bjorgen told me that <laughs> I should never yell. And uh, he's going to go tell that to the 29 families. <laughs> <laughs> what, what else do you want to share before we, uh, we wrap this up? Um, <clears throat> what else is there? I mean, the... Um, <laughs> I ended up meeting a guy that I work with who is a, a musician, really talented lyricist and mm -hmm. songwriter and plays everything, <clears throat> delivering pizzas. He's got a family. He's kind of, we're both kind of washed up creative people. And don't don't he, say that about <laughs> yourself. I know you're I think kidding. it's funny. Yeah, I think it's yes. funny to be like, yes. who wouldn't want to listen to two washed up musicians and comics that deliver pizzas talk about life? We started a podcast. So there you go. It's called Deliver Us From People. <laughs> and uh, he, I love the name. He's yeah. uh, but he's so smart and um, balanced and very so intelligent. So I like the fact that I'm kind of off and have this depression shit. We talk about that, but it's always interesting stuff to kind of figure out how we arrived at where we're at in life. Mm -hmm. But we're still having fun with it and talking about being the creative process. And but he has that bitterness that comics have too of mm -hmm. trying to entertain people and get paid doing it but not having to deal with people. Yeah, that, that, that's a little tricky. <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's yeah. an odd thing. Yeah, how do I you know, get to Wimbledon, but I don't want to touch a tennis racket? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a way around this. <laughs> I'm going to sit and think about the future. <laughs> 
Um, it's called Deliver Us from People. Yeah, and you, you haven't released a first episode as of <laughs> no. this uh, as of this recording, right? No, now. we've just been recording for a year and a half. <laughs> we haven't released anything yeah. because he's such a perfectionist, and I'm like, ah, whatever. So now we're editing this stuff, and then um, going to release by the time this comes out. Yeah, it. You know what? What I think is that people aren't looking for perfection; they're just looking for the truth. Yeah, in a package that either entertains them or helps them you know yeah it's it's an interesting thing to have a piece of very calm and methodical almost like a serial killer mm -hmm. kind of way and did i'm you a meet him in gainesville in gainesville yeah I did. Yes. <laughs> he was wearing striped uh, pajamas <laughs> by the side of a highway <laughs> uh. It's just, it's fun because I can get worked up and, and be a spaz and he, he'll never lose his, he's very just calm. And so it's an interesting, weird dynamic. Yeah. Uh, I look forward to, to hearing it. And uh, thank you so much for coming in and sharing about your, uh, your life. And I just enjoy your company, man. Yeah, I, I, I really appreciate being here. It was, it was yeah. a night, it was really refreshing when you reached out. I'm like, this is fucking great. Yeah. Chell Bjorgen, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thank Paul. Love that guy. And uh, many thanks to Chell and Sam Harriman, all the folks at Sisyphus Brewing. Um, Brewing? <laughs> Sisyphus Brewing. Looking forward to coming back there in the spring to record a couple more shows. Uh, I want to tell you about our sponsor for today, Policy Genius. Uh, life insurance is a deeply unfun topic, you know. Um, but having life insurance is a good thing, especially if you got little ones or a spouse and you're the, the sole provider. And um, actually, I, I don't have a spouse and I don't have kids, but I have life insurance. Um, and Policy Genius is a really easy way to shop and compare. Um, their website is so intuitive. Um, you can apply online, and the unbiased uh, advisors at Poly Policy Genius uh, will handle all the red tape. Um, so, you know, whether you're looking for disability insurance to protect your income, homeowners insurance, or auto, uh, they can help you uh, figure out what is the best policy for you. And they are not incentivized to sell you more insurance than you need. They don't provide the insurance. They just help you evaluate different policies being offered by different companies. And they're there. I went on there because with my, my new uh, high blood pressure, I'm convinced my heart is going to explode uh, sometime in the next couple of months, and I will spend the rest of my life sipping jello through a straw. And I just looked at all the different policies they had, and it was so straightforward. Um, I I think it's a it's a great product, and you guys should uh, should check it out if that's what you're looking for. So if you've been intimidated or frustrated by insurance in the past. Give Policy Genius a try. Just go to policygenius.com to get your quotes and apply in minutes, and you could do the whole thing on your phone right now. Policy Genius, the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. We have some great surveys for you guys, some great, awful, some moments, happy moments, and a really nice um, variety of shame and secrets surveys. Uh, I had to lay off the shame and secret surveys for a couple of weeks. Sometimes it, it gets a little heavy and I got to, uh, 
I got to step away from the printer. <laughs> Am I the only person that prints anymore? I'm so afraid of becoming that guy that is, you know. Oh, yeah, Dave. Well, go ahead and leave a, leave a voice message on my machine. Oh, I always shiver when I find myself doing that. This is an awful moment <laughs> filled out by a woman who calls herself blocking someone after drunk dialing them is setting a healthy boundary, right? <laughs> and she has two. The first one, I got anxious that I could be a bipolar addict, convinced I was in mania, and spiraled into dissociating, a.k.a. being super stoic. And then manically wanting to make stir-fry at 10 p.m. and setting off the alarm in my parents' house. I was so nervous my dad was mad at me. I started waving around my robe and I only had my period panties and a shirt on. By the way, that should be a band name, period panties. Uh, I think he was so horrified I might as well be having a manic episode. I was so horrified I ate my comfort soup and ended up falling asleep only to wake up at 3 a.m., freak out that I'm not getting paid because at dinner I was asked about how freelancing is going just between us, not well, and I decided I needed to be a cam girl. I signed up for three sites, made $40, actually came on camera, and literally woke up. I deleted everything but the one site I made the $40 on. The sad thing is, I kind of need it, so I added it to my list of reminder subscriptions I need to cancel. Should have probably just made a full dinner. I didn't even completely understand some of that, but it made me laugh. Uh, and the second one, I texted a friend to admit that I have been emotionally neglected by my parents and I'm probably acting out because my ex was really similar. This would be fine if it wasn't four paragraphs after an apology text about being too much, which ended with me asking for help with boundaries. I very much relate to your intensity. Thank you for sharing that. It made me chuckle. Um, this is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself clueless. She is straight in her 40s, raised in a totally chaotic environment, uh, was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. Uh, I have had a lot of encounters of date rape. My dad never allowed me to think for myself or have an opinion, so I got messed with a lot. Now I can make them run before they even get close, and I'm okay with that right now. But I have a lot less friends now, which means my dad was right. All guys want to do is screw you. This was a devastatingly sad realization. I struggle with hatred for my dad, though, and the hate is messing up my life now. I am not invalidating your experience that the guys you are meeting uh, only want to screw you, but I can assure you there are men out there who want to get to know uh, a woman and not just screw her. I hope that makes sense. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is don't give up um, on finding a person if that's what you if that's what you want. Uh, she's been physically and emotionally abused. 
my earthly sperm donor and his wife. I'm not really sure I understand what that phrase means, my earthly sperm donor. And his wife were too busy with themselves and still are to this day. Um, I guess that must mean her dad. I still can't itemize this yet, but I will someday because I have lots to share and it will help others. Uh, I was sexually abused by my high school psychology teacher. Uh, and it really did a number on me for the long term, I'm afraid. Uh, any positive experiences with these people? No, I was too young in the mind to have any real understanding. Unfortunately, I was way too sweet and pretty for my own good. It was a curse, not a blessing. I have a hatred in my heart for my dad over this as well darkest thoughts. Just this hatred for my dad, it sucks how much it can change your life. Darkest secrets. I had a couple sexual indiscretions like threesomes and whatnot, but believe it or not, if and when you find your higher power, you can be healed of that. The hate I have now is for... uh, Oh, why is that? Sorry, I just got something on my uh, computer popped up. Um... You can be healed of that. The hate I have now is for recent things and how it's affected my life. Or better said, the life I should have had. How my dad's influence destroyed people I lived through me. I exacted my dad's judgment onto others, not even my own judgments. They say neglect is far worse than physical abuse, as far as far-reaching problems throughout life. Yeah, I agree too. If my dad could just be strong and accept his part in my wasted life, I would have zero issues. It would wipe the slate totally clean. Again, I am not trying to deny your experience or your feelings or your thoughts, but I would like to say that as somebody who has been on the this earth a little longer than you and had some more lived experience there there's often a finality that we feel like like we have arrived at a decision about how things are never going to be different and that this is the final answer on things and that's not always the case i thought i understood the totality of things that had happened to me and where i was going and what was going to fix it or not fix it and whether or not I was broken. And things changed as I continued getting help and letting people help me. My opinions and thoughts on things changed, especially as I began to to process them. And there's kind of an absoluteness in your statement of the things that are fucking with you right now. And I would just ask you to open your mind as to the possibilities of of change, um, of you feeling differently about things. Um, and I'm not saying that that will be the case, but it's, it's possible. Um, sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I don't have fantasy. I fantasies. I think it's related to the Asperger's. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? Pat, you're an asshole. And guess what? You are no different and not any more special than anyone else. So please get over your toddler self. 
What, if anything, do you wish for? A stable and loving person and environment to go back to. The longer I reside the way I do, the less chance there is for a total recovery. My sperm donor could change that, but he's too busy traveling and giving money to his church. He calls abandonment tough love. What an idiot. I don't think he knows the same God that cares for me. Because that shit ain't right. Have you shared these things with others? Oh yeah, but it's barely worth it anymore. In Proverbs, it warns not to give in to vent because it can take you over. I listen to all these therapists say I need to fully feel it. I'm an RN and a patient and I disagree. I myself wish I would have chosen not to, quote, give in to vent. Some things are better not examined, especially if you can remove them from your life. Take a self-honesty meditation type class and it would be a way healthier way to deal with it. Meds just keep this shit suppressed but aggravated. Removing any and all ties and items that have any connection uh, at all to the person, good or bad, and I mean everything. It's the best way I've found, but they say uh, most do not ever get over this stuff and I'm in a small percentage, so I hope percentage. So I hope my ideas will help someone out there from going down the wrong path like me. It only lengthens the healing process, further pulling your spirit down. Um, How do you feel after writing these things down? Better, but I'm leaving all the interesting, mind-blowing details out, so it's probably not so bad hearing what I'm saying. Uh, What if... Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Consider your personal values about faith and spirituality first and know that it does say in Proverbs not to give in to vent. I mean, there's hardly a person that's read Proverbs that can't agree there's some real wisdom there. Listen to it because once you give way to the pounding waterfall of hatred, it's not that easy to put the lid back on. It's always right there like a demon on your back. Any comments to make the podcast better? No, Paul, you're awesome, and I love you, question mark, question mark. I don't know what that means, but I'm going to take that as a compliment. And I was really moved by your survey, and I related to it a lot because that feeling of anger towards someone, especially a parent, is is something that I have battled with in my life. And the only way that I made peace with it was to give in to the feelings. And the reason I wanted to read your survey is because I think the, the, the verb vent can have a couple of different meanings. And I think there's a difference between venting your hatred for someone at that person to cause them hurt or to try to browbeat them into changing I would agree that that is pointless. But processing that hatred with someone who's safe, that we can let that poison out around, that to me is essential. That is the only way that I let go of that. And in addition to that, what you also mentioned about cutting that person out or at the very least distancing ourselves from them. So I I just thought that I, I I thought that what you were what you're were saying 
I just wanted to expand on it and put a little bit of nuance on there because I think one of the drawbacks, one of the many drawbacks with a lot of organized religion is that there's no nuance to it and it's very black and white and human beings and feelings are fucking complicated and and oftentimes, you know, that scripture is being interpreted by somebody who's sick and wants to interpret in a way that lets themselves off the off the hook, which it sounds like your father is possibly doing. So that's my two cents. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a trans man who calls himself Spicy Pickles. I love it. I danced briefly under the name Spicy Pickles. Um, my nickname was Hot Sauce. Uh, he is gay in his 20s, raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment, never been sexually abused, um, but been emotionally abused. Uh, and he writes the usual, Ar- alcoholic narcissistic father, bipolar alcoholic stepfather, lots of verbal abuse and gaslighting. Mom and I are finally out of those woods. Thank the gods, but the sound of raised voices still makes us panic. More recently, in high school, two of my best friends separately would gaslight me, make me feel guilty for being introverted and wanting space, call me stupid, blamed me for their depression and suicide attempts. Luckily, both of them are also out of my life as of three years ago. Good for you. That is some good self-care. Any positive experiences? Uh, my father, my love of film and art. My stepfather, he was funny and goofy when he wasn't drinking. The problem was that he always drank. Friend number one, he was funny, shared my interests, was brave when I couldn't be. I miss who he used to be. Boy, that's a really important thing to talk about is the fact that people can sometimes change for the worse and the insanity of sticking around when that person becomes toxic expecting them to change or trying to change them. Uh, Friend number two spoke her mind, which I admired, and she could hold long conversations with me that none of my other friends understood. I miss who she used to be. Darkest thoughts. I'm ashamed of this because I know statistically and logically it's probably untrue, but I feel like I'm always going to be alone. When I was young, I resigned myself to never loving, never marrying, because the only marriages I had ever seen ended up in misery. Love wasn't real like it it is in the movies. Uh, Love wasn't real like it, like at the movies. I assume that meant uh, like it is in the movies. Uh, It was unrealistic. Even now that I'm on hormones and now that I've had top surgery, I still feel negative about love. I'm in my 20s and I've never had a significant other. I've never been on a date. I've never kissed anyone. I've never even flirted before. I'm too scared and it's so frustrating and strange because I'm a very sexual person and I crave affection and a partner. But I'm scared that I'll never find anyone who is perfect for me. I'm scared I'm too broken or stupid or annoying. I'm scared that I'll never feel loved, that no gay man will ever love me because I'm trans. I'm so afraid talking and 
talking and interacting that I stumble over my words. My anxiety makes me panic when I have to order pizza for fuck's sake. I am so scared that just thinking about talking to a cute boy makes my stomach drop. It causes panic. I want to run. I want to hide. I feel like throwing up just typing this. It's so bad that even when my friend sets me up with a date who's eager to meet me and talk to me that I cancel, I panic, and my reason is because I'm afraid of getting my hopes up, getting attached, because once you get attached, then you're stuck. When, note the when, not if, we break up, it will destroy me. I can't risk that pain. So instead of trying, I've already made up my mind that the pain of loneliness loneliness must be better surely than the pain of being rejected or abandoned. It makes me sick that I think these thoughts. I know that there's someone for everyone out there, but I just can't do it. I can't. Thank you so much for for sharing this really, really important and complicated and universal stuff. Um, And then add in the fact that you're trans and all of the societal stuff that is brought in on top of that. But my two thoughts are, it's okay that you're at where you're at right now and don't shame yourself for being there. And your feelings of loneliness are fucking real and your feelings of being terrified to put yourself out there and being rejected are fucking real and valid The thing that I think would really help would be to begin building intimacy in a non-romantic relationship and let that be the template. That is what helped me find intimacy romantically was the intimacy in my support groups, letting them get to know me, allowing them to love me unconditionally, occasionally having to have difficult conversations with them. That, That was... You know, those were the training wheels that I'm benefiting from today. And I mean, for Christ's sake, I relate to your feeling, you know, about not wanting to feel pain. I want a dog, but I'm afraid to adopt a dog because I don't want to feel the pain of losing a dog again. So um, I say that because... I want to make this show as much as possible about me in a way that borders on annoying. (laughs) I never know where the line is between sharing my experience and making it all about me. Um, Oh boy, when you get in your head sometimes, it's just so, it's such a mind fuck. But um, go easy on yourself. You know, you... Your template for intimacy was awful growing up. Who wouldn't be terrified? And who knows, maybe there's also a uh, an anxiety component there that medication would help. Who knows? But I think starting with therapy and some support groups would be a really good place. I know there's some, some great ones for children of uh, alcoholics out there. Um, so you might... You might look into that. It's just, it's no fun battling this shit by ourselves. You know, life is too short to try to go through all of this on our own. 
and live our little tiny small lives behind our walls, keeping everybody out, when in reality, it's really, you know, getting better at knowing who to let in through the through the drawbridge over the moat without pouring boiling oil on oh what i didn't take my uh my Adderall the last 2 days cuz and i've been sleeping great but my brain is moving a little bit slow Darkest secrets. I'm a very sexual person and I crave love despite the fact that I can't physically or mentally bring myself to pursue romantic partners. So I substitute human love by buying sex toys, cuddleable pillows, and listening to those audio porn ASMR things where a voice tells you, you, uh, tells you how beautiful you are. It's cold, unfeeling, and one-sided, but it will have to do. I'm so pathetic. You are not pathetic. I once hired a cuddler to come over. It was like six months ago. And yeah, I felt pathetic, but I was fucking lonely and I craved human touch. And it was a little awkward, but it also, I felt better after they left. And I'm embarrassed saying it now out loud, but... um. There it is. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I just want affection. I want praise. I want somebody to just be okay with my body. The bar is so low for me. I mostly just like to imagine someone telling me how beautiful I am, that I'm being a good boy. That is so beautiful and so touching. You sound like such a sweet, sensitive soul. And Not only are you denying yourself love by holding yourself captive behind these protective walls, but you're also denying what is beautiful about you being shared with somebody else. There are people out there who feel like you do. And... You, you you just sound like you have such so much gentle love to share with somebody else. And that's such an important, important part of intimacy. Uh, and then he continues, I'm sure Freud would have a heyday with me, say something about how my transness and gayness stem from not having a good father figure in my life or some shit like that. Yeah, well, fuck Freud and his pipe and his beard and his padded chair, and his couch. Uh, Have you shared these things with others? My friends, both pretty social cis girls, assure me that I just, quote, need to get out there, that the, quote, right man will come along someday. I don't tell them about my worries anymore. My therapist is trying to help me find where my anxiety and romance comes from, but I get so nervous that I never even want to talk about it. That's totally understandable, Try to push through that fear if you can, because I think that's going to be the beginning for you is to build that trust with your therapist. Um, How do you feel after writing these things down? Pretty pathetic, actually. I don't think a single person who heard your survey read thinks you are pathetic. I think 
they're thinking to themselves like I am, what a beautiful soul that person has. And they are a fucking survivor and they have been wounded. And if they can find a way to heal, they can have an an awesome life, whether they're with somebody or not. That's a really hard place to get to is where you are okay being alone because looking for somebody to fix us is another dead-end street to go down. You know, I, I like to think of it that having a partner isn't the cake. It's the, it's the icing on the cake, but we gotta, we gotta be the cake. We gotta be our own cake. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know if these sayings I come up with are great or eye rolling. Maybe they're both. Some to one person, another thing to another person. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself Sonic Cat. I think he's been a listener of the show for a while because I've read uh, some of his surveys before. He's straight uh, in his 30s, raised in a stable and safe environment, never been sexually abused, not sure if he's been emotionally or physically abused. Darkest thoughts. Uh, I often think about what it would be like to be in a romantic relationship with another man. What would it be like to be held, cuddled? The strange thing is the sexual aspects do not entice me. Just feeling protected in someone bigger, bigger than me's arms. Darkest secrets. I have a history with disordered eating that I keep completely hidden from my fiance. Everything from binging and purging to restricting. I don't actively engage in these anymore, but I have carried over some unhealthy habits such as eating in private and sneaking food. I sometimes think about binging and purging, but luckily when I get the opportunity, I stop myself. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. I'm pretty tame when it comes to sex and get nervous about telling my partner what I want, but I would really like for her to dominate me and boss me around and make me do to her what she wants. It would be hot if we would occasionally switch these roles. That would be great if you could share that with your partner. I don't know if it feels safe to share these things with her. Um, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I would like to tell my fiance about the disordered eating from my past, but I feel like at this point she would be angry I didn't tell her sooner. You know, that that does not sound healthy that a partner would do, would do that, would react that way. I can understand that their feelings might be hurt, but if they held it against you that you didn't share something with them as personal and as private and as painful as that, um, I I think that is more important than the revelation of the disordered eating. Your your if your partner would were to react to it that way. Um, what, if anything, do you wish for? I wish I could find ways to connect others around me. I'm a good person, and I feel I have so much to offer, but I am dealing with the consequences that come from battling and overcoming social anxiety and generalized anxiety through all of my 20s, um, a third of my life. Have you shared these things with others? My loneliness is the thing I am most ashamed of. I play it off like I don't crave social activities, but it's just a facade. 
How do you feel after writing these things down? I feel less scattered and like there is hope for me. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? Keep trucking. Look for those little wins and use those as fuel for your bigger wins. We spend so much time backsliding that when we allow ourselves to see the power of positive forward momentum, it's an amazing feeling. So true. So true. Thank you so much for that. That that really has some great some great stuff in there. And I, I think it would be great for you and your partner to get into uh, maybe some, some joint counseling and even bring your survey and, and read it, you know, or play this portion of the the show because it sounds like it doesn't feel safe to you to be your authentic self around your partner. And that's troublesome because real true intimacy I think is unattainable if we feel like we can't be our authentic selves around our partner or our friends. Uh, This is a happy moment, very bittersweet, uh, filled out by Rose. And she writes, when I was in primary, I was sexually abused by a male teacher. I live with my father, who's very alcoholic, and I once tried to tell him, uh, but just got told to bugger off because he didn't care. Jesus. Fast forward seven-ish years to the present, and I've still never told anyone until this year. It really started taking its toll on my schooling, and my schooling goes quite downhill. I have great teachers that check up on me a lot, and one day, one of them pulled me aside because I was even more restless than usual, and I just completely broke down and told her everything. I ended up talking to her for over three hours. It felt so good to tell someone. Like I'd been holding my breath for the past seven years, and I could finally let it out, and I just cried and cried from relief. She's been so good and has gotten me doctor's appointments for anxiety and weekly counseling sessions, as well as a timeout card for me to use during class when I need to go outside and have a breather instead of just walking out and getting detentions. It feels like a massive weight has been lifted off my shoulders, and I'm so excited to be on the road to recovery. That is, while I'm sorry that you went through what you went through, the reaching out and the getting vulnerable is just like if if I had a confetti machine in here that I could hit, I would hit it right now. Cause, and you're 17 years old, and it is so good that you are processing this now and that you had healthy people meet you and hear you and validate. That is everything. That is everything. And I want to high-five you and that and that teacher. This is our last shame and secret survey, and then I got a happy moment after that. Uh, this is filled out by Rachel. Uh, she's straight. She's in her 20s. She was raised in a slightly dysfunctional environment. Uh, she was the victim of sexual abuse and never reported it. I was molested by a doctor when I was a very small child. Later in life, I was targeted by someone who was a perpetrator, uh, and then parentheses, and before that, a victim of ritual abuse. There was sexual abuse involved, but it's very confusing and hard to describe. Uh, She's also been physically and emotionally abused. I was bullied a lot in elementary school. Also, there was definitely severe emotional abuse 
involved in the ritualistic abuse I endured, especially in the form of brainwashing. Man, that was rough. There was physical abuse too, I guess, but again, it's confusing and hard to describe. Any positive experiences with the abusers? Yes, in order to confuse me and gain my trust, my abuser had to form a bond with me that I had to feel was genuine. As far as my research goes, ritual abuse usually begins within childhood. My case was different and started when I was a teenager, and this saved me in so many ways. I'm really lucky, more than lucky. My abuser had to calculate things very carefully with me to get away with the abuse, and as a result, a manipulated friendship was formed. I'm so sorry if my stomach is uh, is growling. Man, this gives me chills looking back. I recognize recognize a lot of this as manipulation, but also I truly believe some of it was his wounded inner child trying to reach out for human connection. I feel I understand my abuser's pain a lot, and I go between horror and compassion. The complicated part really comes in when I see the parts of me that were already wounded and easy, easily manipulated. There is a lot of shame and sorrow in that for me. And that is such a good thing that you are feeling that sorrow because that, to me, is one of the first hurdles in healing is to not push that shame away and that sorrow away, but to learn how to make friends with it so that it can eventually dissipate because the more we try to fight what we're feeling, I think the more that feeling kind of hunkers down and and resists being processed darkest thoughts my god my stomach is growling so much nowadays my darkest thoughts involve me just feeling angry at my friends who are amazing people and ruminating on what i perceive as their faults or how i felt hurt or misunderstood by them in the past i'm working hard to stop this and i know it has to do with still working on my ptsd but i'm trying to take responsibility Before this, though, I had thoughts that were caused by brainwashing. I thought I was evil and secretly wanted to hurt people in horrible sexual ways. I thought I deserved to be exploited and beaten. I thought that I was going to go to hell and that I had nothing left in me, no more love. Fortunately, when I was really feeling that I was... Fortunately, when I was really feeling that, I was in a forest trying to process stuff. And I'm pretty sure the trees somehow spoke to me and said... It's okay. You're okay. Because every single molecule is love. Actually, one of my secrets, kind of, is that I'm pretty sure trees communicate with me. Another time, I was feeling really scared and confused from the brainwashing and the trauma, and I didn't know what to believe. And I'm pretty sure a tree told me, only believe peace. I've had other experiences like this with trees, but I don't tell people. It's not something I'm ashamed of. I just don't feel like being labeled crazy. I I don't think you're crazy at all. I think nature is probably your higher power, and that's how you get your brain to unwind and and let the universe speak speak to you. Um, you know, it would be different if you were walking through a forest and you literally heard voices saying, you know, everyone is your enemy, uh, you know, go drive your car into a wall, you know, that, 
you know, that to me would be, you know, possibly some type of mental illness going on. But um, it sounds like, you know, nature is your uh, your jam. And so I say, keep connecting to it, Matt, because the stuff that was coming into your head when you were there, it's okay, you're okay, every single molecule is love and only believe peace. It's fucking beautiful. That's profound. Darkest secrets. I actually don't have any secrets, especially anymore. I'm pretty open to the right people like my therapist and best friends because it's too traumatizing for me to imagine living in secrecy like my abuser did. A lot of shame has been released and I've been able to move on from so much that I was manipulated into doing. Fortunately, that stuff didn't escalate too much in that situation. I'm very lucky that way, but it was still structured to make me feel like not even God could love me anymore. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you. None. The last time I felt turned on, I felt totally violated, even though I was alone. I just don't go there anymore. Fortunately, I think I'm somewhere on a spe- on the sexual spectrum, so this isn't a b- big... Oh, I, I feel I'm somewhere on the asexual spectrum, the ace, uh, asexual uh, so this isn't a big deal to me. I'm just done with that stuff. Uh, what, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I wish there was a way for people to understand what I've been through, but there really isn't. Words don't work. I'm letting go of yearning for understanding and letting go of the secondary trauma of not being believed or understood. It's no one's fault, just the way it is. Sometimes I wish there was a safe way to tell my abuser, What happened to you as a child wasn't your fault, and that isn't who you really are. No matter what's happened to you and what you've done, there is still and always will be light in you. You have the right to ask for help and to go home. That is so profound. You have so much peace and love inside you. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to use your survey because it to me is a great example of somebody walking through the fear and the pain and the betrayal and letting the universe help them heal and be a healer for other people. Uh, As much as my abuser hurt me, I know for a fact that he was severely abused and tortured and worse as a child and onwards. I know that no one stepped in to save him or protect him. I almost feel that the people who could have stepped in to help him as a child but didn't are just as responsible for this cycle of abuse as him and his abusers. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish for peace for all. I listen to Eckhart Tolle a lot, and I wish for everyone to be able to step out of their trauma and into peace. I wish for myself to be able to let go of anger and resentment. I think it's happening. I wish for a safe place away from everyone to just be able to rest and heal. Very few people know what I've been through. My family doesn't know. Most of my friends don't, or they just can't understand. I can't act normal right now. I need to rest, and I need space for that. Have you shared these things with others? 
Some, yes, with my therapist and also my best friend. I tried to share this stuff with others, but it wasn't understood and that was very painful. But with my therapist and best friend, it's almost always understood. I'm so grateful. How do you feel after writing these things down? Slightly triggered, but okay. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so, so much. That was just really uh, inspiring and touching. And I appreciate it. And then finally, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself, All Students Are My Favorite Students. And she writes, I used to teach music in my hometown, but moved away a few years ago for a different teaching position. When I left my hometown, one student in particular was quite heartbroken at my departure. I not only taught the student in school, but I also had given her private piano lessons for five years and have known her and her family since she was in fourth grade. Fast forward, she's now a senior in high school and got one of the leading roles in her school's musical, so I decided to go back to see her perform. Even though I was excited to see her perform, I was pretty anxious about the visit. It's a two-hour drive. I hate driving. And sometimes visiting my parents can be quite tense and awkward. They don't talk about real things, just surface things. But I decided to go home anyways and dragged my parents to the show with me. It was fantastic, and she was overwhelmingly my favorite part of the show. After the show, the cast lined up outside the theater in a receiving line, and when I got to her in line, she shouted my name and gave me the biggest hug in the world. Her reaction was pure joy and like magic to my soul. All the anxiety surrounding the visit instantly melted away, and I was so happy that I could be there in that moment to celebrate with her. This year of teaching has been a difficult one so far, with few moments of joy and happiness, but this moment even though it only lasted 30 seconds, was a confirmation that, yes, I chose the right profession, and a reminder that, yes, I do make a difference in the lives of students, regardless of whether or not I'm able to see it on a daily basis. The immense love and appreciation I felt at that moment has stuck with me since that day, and I know this is one moment of my teaching career that I will remember for a long time. I mean, what can you say? What can you say? There's nothing to add to that. It's perfect. Perfect way to end the podcast. Perfect example of all the love that's there in the universe. And, you know, being reminded what we can mean to other people when we're our authentic selves. And, uh, and sounds cheesy, but what we can mean to ourselves, there, there is nothing like the peace of living an authentic life. And I'm so glad that I get to experience it. And it's there. I think it's there for everybody. It's just, are we willing to walk through the fear and are we willing to ask for help to get to that, to get to that place? Um, the people in my life that I asked for help, you know, the friends in my support group, those are my friends now. And if I hadn't asked for help, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have them. I wouldn't have that support. And I, I would be missing out on so much, so much in my life. And uh, 
I'm just so grateful. I hope you heard something that uh, clicked for you. And be kind to yourself. These next couple of months, it's uh, it is the the trifecta of anxiety. Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's. Uh, be be your own best friend if you can. Don't be your your own worst enemy. And if you're out there and you're feeling stuck, you're not alone. And um, thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up I know in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully Everybody fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.